What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday, February 26, 2019. Combine week rolls on here on the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast. I am Will Brinson. I am your host. I am thrilled to be here with you for another day of football talking forever. No, I'm just kidding. I am, I am thrilled. This is a fun week. Um, I, today's Tuesday. Tomorrow's Wednesday. I'm leaving tomorrow for the Combine. Always excited to be in Indianapolis. Uh, over the next two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll have previews with John Ledyard and Ryan Wilson. We preview the quarterbacks on Monday. You can go back and check out that app, uh, that, that episode in your app. Um, and then you can watch the, you, you can't watch it, but you can listen to the episodes today and tomorrow in your podcast app. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever else you get uh, podcasts. And, of course, make sure and tune in this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think Saturday. Uh, we'll be doing a live Pick 6 podcast rundown from noon until 1. I think it's actually just uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday on CBS Sports HQ. You people who listen to this podcast all the time are the ones who get me on the video show. I, I swear, I'm not kidding. Because you guys watch. The numbers are good. The numbers are better. And people are like, oh, we got to check out the video show. So noon, I'll tweet it out. I'll, I'll remind you of throughout the week. But noon, tw- uh, 12 o'clock Eastern cbssports.com slash live. Go watch the pick six rundown. They're letting me host again. I don't know why. I'll take it. Um, it's going to be a blast. We'll have hopefully coaches and GMs stop by. So we have our standard uh, white chair, cool, casual set hanging out in uh, Indianapolis. Ryan Wilson and John Breach will be hanging out with me. Uh, Jason Lockenfora, Pete Prisco will be there, Brady Quinn, uh, Joel, uh, Joel Corey I know is going to be there. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Highly recommend you check it out. We'll also be doing, if you're interested, uh, 5.30 to 6 p.m. on CBS Sports HQ. Wrap-ups of the Combine action. And then uh, Sportsline from 6 o'clock until 7, breaking down the upcoming games and maybe some Combine uh, props for your betting perspective. Um, we will try and preview some of those as well before the actual on-field action happens. Maybe we'll do that on Wednesday or for Thursday's show. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to do a little solo intro here in case you hadn't figured that out two minutes in. Um, and uh, we'll go through some news. We got the, the notes out of the way. Then we do the news. And then we'll get to the combine preview. We will talk wide receivers, tight ends, and offensive linemen. John Ledyard of the Draft Network. Follow him at Ledyard NFL Draft. And uh, check out thedraftnetwork.com. They just relaunched. They've got a uh, a cool big board feature and a mock draft feature, and that you can like you can create your own big board. It's really cool. Um, of course, read everything Ryan Wilson does on the draft on CBSSports.com. Um, Wilson is the man. He's on the podcast all the time. You know him very well. Uh, anyway, the news: Robert Kraft stuff continued on Monday. Um, the NFL, first of all, early in the morning, the NFL confirmed that Bob Kraft, Patriots owner, uh, charged with two counts of soli- uh, soliciting prostitution at a massage parlor, a day spa in Jupiter, Florida. Um, the NFL said that they could, in fact, uh, end up suspending and finding, finding uh, Robert Kraft as a result of the outcome of this situation. You would think, as I wrote, that the baseline... Punishment for Bob Kraft would be 
what Jim Irsay got when he was found, when he pled guilty to misdemeanor operating a vehicle while intoxicated. That was a $500,000 fine and six-game suspension. That's a lot of punishment um, in terms of in a vacuum. Now, it is not a ton of punishment when it comes to a billionaire worth $6 billion, right? Like that $500,000, a lot of money to almost all of us, not a ton of money to Bob Kraft. Now, having said that, there's only so much that Roger Goodell and the NFL can do to punish the Patriots owner here. It will be interesting to see how that relationship between the NFL and the Patriots uh, operates. It has not been cordial in recent years. That could create, you know, potential drama in terms of how this plays out. Um, I am of the opinion that you will see a, a hefty fine and a hefty suspension. But again, none of that really matters because he has tons of money. And if he misses Patriots games, it's not like he's you know the coach of the team. He's not Bill Belichick. It's not going to cost them wins. It's not going to cost them an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. So th- from a competition standpoint, there's just not a lot the NFL can do in these cases. Roger Goodell is going to have to weigh um, – you know, assuming we get this far, assuming they even decide to punish it, they'll, they'll do their own investigation. Of course, they're going to let the legal process play out. Uh, Roger Goodell will have to walk a fine line in terms of satisfying a public need to punish. You, know, you can't. You have to. You have to. You have to do a lot of just punishment. You have to be fair. You also have to be careful with your optics if you're Roger Goodell and you don't want to underpunish. When you underpunish and you're the commissioner, you get yelled at. Um, and he would absolutely get yelled at if you underpunished Bob Kraft in the hypothetical that this played out this way. Um, the police in Jupiter, Florida, did actually charge uh, Bob Kraft, Robert Kraft, with uh, two counts of alleged solicitation of prostitution. Kraft is scheduled for a court date on April 24th. He does not have to appear in court, according to uh, our, our friend Nora Prinsati of the Boston Globe. Um, and if he is found guilty, he could fa- he could carry this. The the charges could carry a maximum jail sentence of one year, a hundred hours of community service, a five thousand dollar fine, and attending a class on the effects of human trafficking. That's also according to uh, to Nora at the Boston Globe. You should follow her on Twitter too. She's a good follow. Um, Kraft, of course, has denied the allegations. And, um, uh, you know, the state attorney said that first time offenders are very unlikely to get significant jail time. I think that that is pretty standard when it comes to these cases. I would be very surprised if Bob Kraft ended up going to jail in this instance. I think um, a lot of times when they have a high profile John, as they do in this case, you know, the, the, the guy who gets caught, the guy who's visiting the, the prostitute in this case, um, the police and the authorities and law enforcement people like to utilize that big name in order to draw attention to a case that, as we talked about yesterday, is trying to solve a much bigger issue than you know a sting on the on the Patriots owner. I mean, this is, human trafficking is a major concern, um, and and certainly a a, a a major moral problem and and problem in this country. I mean, it, it needs to be. Um, it's anytime you're trafficking. With the lives of other humans, that is very, very, very terrible, and it's good that the police are looking to uh, to stop this. Um, according to documents, uh, Kraft was actually there on the day of the AFC Championship game, which is very surprising. Um, 
and January 19th, the first day. He was there January 19th and January 20th. Um, and uh, he visited the spot. And he was captured with video surveillance. Um, at one point, he had two room, two women in the room with him, according to the Boston Globe. Uh, he paid in cash and left in a Bentley that he is not to, it's not believed he was driving. Um, and this is the the first day around 4:45, and then the next day, uh, Kraft showed up at the spot at 11 a.m. and uh, engaged in the acts alleged acts here and paid a woman in cash and then left the spot around 11:15 a.m. Um, and then at 6.40 p.m., of course, the Patriots and the Chiefs played. Kraft was in Kansas City. It's not difficult to travel from Florida to Kansas City when you have private airfare. It's just not. Um, but it is a little surprising that it was on the day of the AFC Championship game. Um, so that's where we're at on that right now. I'm sure there'll be more developments. We can handle them as they come up, but just wanted to fill everybody in on that. Um, Michael Crabtree, not a surprising cut, but he was cut by the uh by the Baltimore Ravens. And so when you go and look at the Baltimore Ravens depth chart at wide receiver, oh not great, Bob. The uh they Willie Sneed is their number one wide receiver. John Brown uh and an unrestricted free agent now. Um uh, they have Willie Sneed, Chris Moore, Jaleel Scott, Jordan Lassley. It's a real shame they can't trade for Antonio Brown if the Steelers wouldn't make a deal. They should call and offer their first-round pick and just see what the Steelers would do. Lamar Jackson and Antonio Brown would be fun. I'm not sure that um, it would be a perfect fit given Lamar Jackson's accuracy issues, but, man, that is a really bad position for the Baltimore Ravens, and there is not a ton out there in free agency. You know, the Ravens have a have a decent pick, and... 22nd overall. I mean, but you're not, you know, I think Kelvin Harmon's a guy at NC State. We will talk about him in a minute, uh, who could be a fit for them given his catch radius. Uh, I actually kind of really like that fit. DK Metcalf probably won't be there. Marquise Brown has some injury issues, so that's going to be tough to figure out. But, um, the Ravens are a team that are going to be looking to add a wide receiver more than likely early in the draft. They almost have to, and will probably have to make moves in free agency. Wouldn't be surprising if they did some, like Jamison Crowder makes perfect sense for the Ravens somehow. Could you see Jamison Crowder signing with the Ravens in free agency? That makes sense to me. Um, and, uh, let's see. In other news, you know what? That's, oh, actually, uh, Kyler Murray, who we talked about on yesterday's podcast with the quarterbacks, reportedly up to 206 pounds ahead of the combine. That's according to Peter King of NBC Sports in his Football Morning in America column. Uh, that's multiple reports now. I believe Daniel Jeremiah said that he heard uh, Kyler Murray's at like 200. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Eric Burkhart. Actually, I think Peter King said he was at 203. Is that what he heard? And then uh, Eric Burkhart, Kyler's agent, said on uh, Comeback Season, SZN, as the kids say, a Barstool Sports podcast about Johnny Manziel uh, featuring Burkhart and Casey Smith, I think. Um, it's a good podcast, actually. Entertaining. You shouldn't listen to it over this one, but, you know, it's not bad. Um they, uh, they said that he's up to 206. So anyway, he's, that's the, the gist of it is that Kyler Murray might be weighing in the 200 plus range. I'll be fascinated to see what he does at the combine then. If he weighs 206, it boosts his stock because people will be less concerned about his size and him weighing 180. But if he's added 20 pounds of mass, does he want to go out there and throw? That's, I don't know, that's kind of risky. Like you haven't, thro- has, has he ever thrown with that extra 20 pounds of mass? You don't want to sail balls or like, 
you know, crush them with your, your manly strength or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I'd be careful if I was throwing the footballs around, but I think the 40 would be in play. Not like he's going to tip over anything. He's not you know, Popeye here. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that would solve a lot of problems for teams. The teams have about Kyler Murray. Very interested to see how he weighs and how he, uh, checks in. Also very interested to get you to the draft podcast with John Ledyard and Ryan Wilson about the wide receivers, tight ends, and offensive linemen. We'll be back tomorrow to finish that preview. Recorded all on Sunday in three parts, obviously, if you can figure that out. Um, and, uh, we will do defense tomorrow on, uh, on Wednesday when we get to the combine. And then we'll be live from the combine on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We just keep on rolling right into the off season. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Let's get to uh, the draft, pre- the, the combine preview after a quick break. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. All right, joining us again on the show, John Ledger and Ryan Wilson. It's like we just talked, guys. Um, <laughs> this is the I, worst cream ever. <laughs> uh, I'm the yes, welcome to hell. Um, I'm uh, I'm transparent with the listeners, so I'll let them know we recorded this all at once. If for some reason somebody tears his Achilles, or and hopefully that doesn't happen, or gets arrested, or something like that, I will update it in the uh, preceding uh, news segment that will be recorded at some point. All right, let's dive right into the. By the way, um, if you didn't listen to Monday's show, you. Should go check that out. John Ledyard from thedraftnetwork.com. Incredible amount of draft content there. Ryan Wilson, of course, our uh, senior NFL draft expert at CBSSports.com. Wide receivers and tight ends first up, and then we'll get to the offensive linemen. We'll do defense on Wednesday. Who's your number two wide receiver? I looked at this. You guys both have DK Metcalf number one. John, who's your number two wide receiver and why? Number two for me is Calvin Harmon, man. I think yes! this guy can really play. Yeah. yeah. I knew you'd be pumped about that. <laughs> it's a Kelvin Harmon podcast. I don't blame you at all, man. He is good. And I know people are like, oh, but what's he going to run in the 40? Here's the thing. You don't have to be fast to be a good wide receiver. You just have to know how to use the speed that you have. He does. He accelerates off the line of scrimmage, sells vertically, breaks back to the ball and creates separation. When he's down the field, he can get a step on you just because of his size. He finds a way to leverage and wall off guys. But 
contested catches and ability to play the ball in the air, outstanding. I mean, if you ask me which receiver is going to be most impactful year one, it would probably be Calvin Harmon. Long term, I would just I'm I can't. DK Metcalf has everything you want to bank on at the position. But I I really really like Calvin Harmon. Just don't blow it at the combine. I don't care if you're an unbelievable athlete. Just don't blow it in my opinion because I've his tape is as good as any receiver in this class. Every matchup I thought he took apart, and he's an unbelievable blocker. High effort, all business type of guy. He's a guy you want on your team. I don't know where you you value him per se. You know where you want to take a wide receiver. Everybody's kind of all over the place with that these days, but. He's going to help your team right away, and he has wide receiver one type ability. I would be surprised if Kelvin Harmon is not a first round pick. I mean, I think I think at this point that he's done enough. And you're, but you're right. Like if he goes to the combine, and he runs a four six or four seven, or I mean, you know, right. four seven would be a disaster, obviously. But if he does that and he has some drops in the drills, I mean, then you could like you could see his stock drop a little bit. But I, I do think the plug and play thing with Harmon is so important because he you could put like if you put him in if you go out and trade for Deshaun Jackson and put him across from Kelvin Harmon, you have a combo of like wide receivers. You get like a you know not mm-hmm. a, a Tyreek Hill type, but a smaller, speedy guy yeah. that takes the top off. And I also think to your point, eh, maybe Harmon didn't have very many uh, vertical shots in a Ryan Finley. Um, no, run, yeah, run and, really? and really, I thought he won. You know, when he was given those opportunities, he I won. thought he won vertically despite not being fast. You know, there are other ways to win down the field, and I thought he did that. You know, his, his ability to adjust to the ball and snag it outside his frame, high point. Or otherwise, you know, I, he, you can't teach that. He just has natural dominant ball skills, I think. And that it's been overlooked in this class, I think, but I think he's one of the better prospects in the class. I can't wait until, uh, the wide receivers go and it's like, well, Vincey State has all these weapons. Why aren't they winning more football games? It'll happen by the second Question. day. Second day of the, the combine, if not the second day of the draft. Who's your wide receiver too, Ryan? Same, man. I've been on the Kelvin Harmon bandwagon for months. I was at the Syracuse game in October and I was, up close and personal, watching him whip that, up on those. That's schools. actually I knew that because you came back from that. You're like, dude, Harmon is ridiculous. I was texting you during the game saying, uh, "Who yeah. else should I watch out for?" You, you mentioned Jermaine Pratt, who mm-hmm. he probably didn't play great in that game. He, there's some issues with Jermaine nobody, Pratt, but nobody, he, nobody. he's worth you know he's worth the guy worth knowing. But um, Finley early on in the game, they weren't even targeting Kelvin Harmon. It was single coverage. I, I texted you said, "What what's going on? Well, what's his plan here?" <laughs> I don't know if this is an issue of Finley locking on the guys, which is what he seems to do before the snap or what. But once he got Harmon the ball, he was beating guys deep. Intermediate, short, and it was routine. Now, Syracuse's defense is, is doo-doo. But, I mean, still, it was, whatever, 40,000 people. They were yelling and screaming in that little tiny dome. They were going crazy for Syracuse. And he just kept producing. I think, what do you have? Do you have over 200 yards that game, Will? Uh, let me look at it. I can't. That I, was, I, was a dominant insane. game, yeah. yeah I was, was up big. in the mountains. I think it was 200. I was up in the mountains with my brother-in-law. I, can't, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember. Not I just working. remember the yeah, uh, I came away thinking, this guy is, this is it. And, yeah. um I don't know if there's a situation where if, if DK's healthy and all that and he runs fine, if there's a situation where Harmon overtakes him. But he's my number two. I know two, a lot of people like Marquise Brown yeah. before he got hurt. 247. So, 247. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Good heavens. Yeah. yeah. And they still lost. <laughs> uh, the one the one red flag I think might be that Clemson game, two catches for 13 yards. And yeah, Did you see Ryan Finley play that game? Yeah, Finley was yeah. awful. And Clemson's and here's my other thing about Finley. Harmon, Harmon had, Har- did Harmon have one really bad? He had one that hit his hands down the field that would have tilted yes, the game. Over the like, shoulder, and yeah. And it's like, oh, my, like, how the hell do you drop that if you're going to be right. like, yeah. For as much as that people was, don't like Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones had a much better game against Clemson than, than Ryan yeah. Finley. Ryan Finley didn't show up for that game. Right, right. right. Uh, also, no, worth noting, the year before, Harmon destroyed Clemson. <laughs> mm, that's true. And, and Dabo yeah. probably remember that. By the way, if you want to, if you want some free draft content, go look at, um, do right, split Ryan Finley's, do Ryan Finley's splits 
based on performance against uh, top, I think it's top 30 defenses versus everyone else. And you're like, oh, you're just a different quarterback when you play a defense. Quarterback. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much. So that should bid well for the NFL. Um, okay, moving along. What, um, tight end wise, Noah Fant or TJ Hawkinson? Who you got, John? Who's your, who's your tight end one there? Or if you had to pick, do you want to pick between them or, you know, is there another guy after them? I mean, what's, oh, what? I want to pick. Okay. I always want to pick. Yeah. I've, Hawkinson's my guy, uh, right. for sure. Um, I, I like Fant, and it's again, it's, it's rarely to take away from you know a guy like that. Like Fant is a really, really good talent. Hawkinson's more polished, and he's an even better. But I think Fant's a good blocker. I think the the knocks on him as a blocker aren't very fair, but uh, I think Hawkinson's a dominant blocker. Um, I think Hawkinson's still a really good athlete. You know, at some point you get to that point of no real additional return with athleticism at tight end. I think, and to me, Hawkinson is a really good athlete, and Fant is an unbelievable athlete, and I just don't really care that much about the difference. But I care about the difference a little bit as a blocker, but and mostly as a route runner. Hawkinson is really polished. He'll press into defenders' space, and then he'll break away really sharply from their space. He knows how to vary his stride, so he'll gear down a little bit to make them feel like they have him. When they relax, he gears away, and I think that natural understanding of kind of leverage and routes and things like that showed up against John Abram. I thought when those two matched up showed up consistently throughout the season. Plus the big difference Hawkinson is just so competitive with the ball in his hands. He can jump over guys. He'll make you miss. He'll break tackles. He also has the long speed to run away. Fant is just kind of long speed to run away. There's not really a, another thing for him after the catch. So Still a good play. I mean, Fan can beat cornerbacks on the outside. You can do a lot with him. He's going to be, he's one of the top 15 players in this class, in my opinion. Overall? I just talk. I think you Fant think, is. You think yeah. they're both in the top 15 of the, of the yes. entire class? Wow. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think Fant is like 12 or 13 for me right now. Now, granted, I'm not super high on the class. But Hawkinson is the fourth overall player on my board. So Holy I'm, crap. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I don't add value for positions. So that's something to consider. Like I know I wouldn't take a tight end top four, obviously in real life. But I just because I don't add value for positions, it's just kind of every position no, against no, no, each no. other. I'm not I'm not questioning it. I'm just saying that's that's just, that's a. I mean, like I I think it's not a bold take. It's just that's a like that's staking your claim on on T.J. Hawkinson. Yeah. I like it. I, I think mean, he's gonna be special. Yeah, I think he's a real deal. I talked to and I mentioned this in the podcast like nine times in the last two weeks. But I talked to George Kittle at the uh, Super Bowl, and Kittle was like, I was like, what? I was like, what is the deal with freaking Ferentz? Like, why didn't he? Why does he have to run this? Like a uh, dinosaur offense, and why didn't he use these incredible tight ends? Like you had terrible stats in Iowa. And he's like, well, I had my back injury and hot, you know. But but I mean, yeah. like these guys, you look at their numbers, you're like, eh. I mean, if if does, is T.J. Hawkinson going in the first round if George Kittle doesn't come out of the same system? You know what I mean? Like that's I think that's the question to ask. And um, I don't have a problem taking a tight end with a top fifteen pick at all. I mean, if if it's, oh. if, it's if it's a better player, Ryan, what do you think about these guys? Yeah, no, I think Hawkinson is the better player, overall player. I think Noah Fant sort of reminds me of Evan Ingram. And, mm, you know, he's fair. not in a great system. And I don't know, I wouldn't call Eli Manning a great system. Uh, it's not always going to work. Evan, Evan had some injuries last year, but he's a guy that you can obviously target and go, okay, this guy's legit. He's a, an right. incredible athlete. He's not someone you're going to ask to inline block a whole bunch. But I want to ask John about, uh, I finally got around to watching Jay Sternberger at Texas A&M. And that guy blew me away with how athletic he is. And I was uh, going into this thinking, okay, people are concerned about his blocking. I watched him play Kentucky. I thought he actually did a decent job of blocking against Kentucky. How big is the difference in your mind between Jace and TJ Hawkinson? Yeah, I think it's still a big difference, but I also think TJ Hawkinson's like special, special. And so that's kind of like the disclaimer there. But you're right, Sternberger's super athletic. And here's the funny thing. Like 
I was I watch the SEC for for the draft night. We all watch the games, but like I'm assigned every week. Like I write the watch all the SEC games on Saturdays, and like I write the like basically the scouting recap of the weekend. Like here's guys that stood out, here's guys that disappointed, and every week I'm like this Jay Sternberger guy's awesome. Like no one talked about him coming to the year because he had like two catches in his or he didn't do anything really. I mean he couldn't get on the field for two years at Kansas, and then he was at uh, Duco for a year, and uh, and then. Jimbo found him and snapped him up, and then he was leading the co- leading college football and receiving for tight ends. And so it's a crazy story, but still, like nobody was talking about him in the season. So I was like, "This guy's good. He's a legitimate top 100 talent." I'm writing it like every week. I'm like, still a week would go by, nobody would talk about him. And then like lately, it feels like everybody's like, he should be like a top 30 prospect. I'm like, whoa, like that's really high. Like I like Jay Sternberger a lot. He's super physical after the catch in terms of like he is great. I keep him break tackles like crazy. Kind of reminds me of Vance McDonald in that way. Like. Both are like real hard guys to get down after the catch, even though they don't like dish out punishment or anything like that. They're just have really, really good balance. And then this week, this year, Vance kind of did dish out some punishment, but I think Sternberger's a really good player. The, the concerns that there's like random bouts of drops and like he kind of seems to get down a little <laughs> bit on himself. I think that'll come like that'll be alleviated with more playing time and stuff like that. I think he needs to improve as a blocker, but you're right. The athleticism is exciting with him. He's definitely in that second tier of tight ends. I think after those first two, he'd be one of the top guys to consider. Um, all right. So we'll plug, uh, Jay Sternberger is in as our sleeper at tight end. Is there anybody else, um, at, at the wide receiver or tight end position who could really help themselves with a the big combine? I, I did a poor job. I let us gloss over the wide receiver. Like, hey, here's a Kelvin Harmon discussion. <laughs> I do want to see what Kill Harry wants. We haven't heard enough about Kelvin Harmon on this podcast, you <laughs> NC State Harmon. Talk about somebody else, you clown. Well, you can talk about Bradbury in a minute. But uh, I want to see what in, in Kill Harry runs at Arizona State because he looks not super fast, but is he going to run a 4-7? Is he going to run a 4-6 or whatever? Is he going to be Anquan Bolden in terms of being able to get open? Because there ain't a lot of slip screens with him, which was sort of weird. At Arizona State, he didn't get open a lot down the field. He could make the contested catch from the games I saw, but he wasn't creating separation. And I know he's a big-bodied guy, but is he a tight end? I mean, I don't know what he is. He does a lot of amazing things after the catch and the highlights we see. But consistently, I, I wasn't, like, blown away, and I wanted to be blown away with him. Yeah, no, go ahead, yeah go ahead. I think for me, I, I, I think that's a great point by Ryan, but I also would, I would say to the tight end position, like, if there's two guys that I think can really help themselves – it's Cahal Warring from San Diego State. I may not even be saying his first name is insane if you've never looked it up. It's like I don't even know if it's his first name. He has like 15 <laughs> different names. It's insane. But Cahal is what he goes by. I believe I'm saying it right. But uh, he is a really, really good player who didn't get thrown the ball a lot. And when he did, he consistently made plays. I think he's a top 100 prospect in this class. It's not getting a lot of buzz right now, but it's because the tight end position is just so good. But Six foot six, 250 pounds. He blocks and he's put a ton of work into his game. It was a walk on. He played one year of high school football. He had 21 catches for like 565 yards or something. He averaged like almost 27 yards a catch. It was some crazy number. And that was the only year of play- football he played, period, growing up. He was like a water polo and basketball guy. This past year was? What's that? This past year was the only year that he played. No, th- this was oh. his senior year. Oh, of high okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. But, but he, so, he basically became a he basically became a football player. So, all right, that's right. interesting. Yeah, he kind of like just kind of crafted himself into a football player. Like he fell in love with it. His coaches said you can play in college. He got a couple like random looks, but he, he actually got like no like San Diego State said we can give you a preferred walk on. He walked on. He earned a scholarship. He cultivated his body. Added tons of weight. Um, he his technique as a blocker kind of blew me away. I, He's not totally dominant like a Hawkinson, but he can help a team right away. He runs the seam. He beats man coverage. 
not enough people talking about him, but I think he's a really good player. And then Dax Raymond from Utah State. That offense was kind of fun to watch, you know, from Darwin Thompson and a couple of receivers that have gotten some buzz as maybe late round guys. Dax Raymond didn't get the ball a ton, but when he did, Michigan State game's a good one to watch. Real athleticism, smaller school guy, catches the ball while outside his frame. Um, and also he'll block. He'll get after people as a blocker. So both of those guys are smaller schools that are flying under the radar because the tight end class is so good, but I think they could end up being better than some of the other bigger names in the class. How high can Debo Samuel get himself drafted with a good combine, Ryan? Ugh, I mean, what, what does he have to run? I mean, if he runs like a four four three or something, that'll get your attention. Because the, the issue going into the senior bowl, scouts are wondering if he could run. And, you know, he told me, you saw what, after the first practice, he goes, you saw what I did, right? I was like, yeah, you look, you look pretty fast out there. Uh, he had a good week, I thought. But the issue is how fast can he run? I like that he plays everywhere. I like that he can return kicks. He can move inside, outside, runs a jet sweep, can line up in the backfield. But I think at the end of the day, can he run? Uh, I'm not worried about his hands. I know some people were. That's such a, I, by the way, by the way, it's such a, like, I'm not, I'm not questioning it. It's such a draft, like, lead up to the draft scouting term. It's like, can he run? Can this guy run? I, don't, I think he, he can he run, run fine, but that's what people like, are. I got know, legs, dude. I can run. No, I, I saw him I burning people. I you know, you watch him play. Who was, who yeah. was the first game in 2017? Was that NC State or UNC that he that whooped up? That was NC State. Yeah, okay. So he whooped up on them. He had that incredible one-hand catch in the back yeah. of the end zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so if he runs like a 4-4-3 or something, I, I guess he can backdoor his way into the first round. I feel like he's a day-two pick without question. Um, it's just a matter of consistency and health. Uh, I think he's probably a day-two pick, but he absolutely helps the team right away. You know, um, I think that he's easily going to go sometime by by the middle of round three, I think. And he can play inside. He can play outside. He can do things after the catch. He can return kicks. You know, a guy like that's pretty valuable. He'd have to be pretty slow, I think, not to come off the board at least uh, sometime in the second round, I would guess. Um, okay, let's talk about the offensive line. Did I miss anybody? Is there, any, is there anybody else on the wide receiver group that you think would pop out when you're looking at the combine? Just, just in terms of, because I think a lot of times people will settle in to watch the combine with a very vague overview, and wide receiver is easier. But it's like, whoa, like Jason. Let me ask, Jay- let me ask John a question. Yeah. So, John, uh, you, we talked about Georgia on the first podcast, Elijah Holyfield, and I know a lot of people are, are really job. high on Good Riley Ridley. I think you like him a lot too, right? So, what yeah. does he have to do to sort of get into that first round conversation if he's not already there? I, I have him sort of day two ish, but I'm right. He doesn't do right. anything that blows me away. What does he do that, that you like? Yeah, that's the thing, right? You know, I like some of the things he does, like the Missouri game, contested catches, body control, ability to catch outside his frame. He caught nine touchdowns. A lot of those are really impressive catches. The one against LSU late in the game, a, a terrific route. He clearly knows what he's doing as a route runner. My biggest question with him is, is he fast? You know, can he really sell with speed? He his stop start ability is crazy. I mean, eighty percent of his routes are curls, though. That's the other thing that makes it frustrating. They'll like curl, 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 <laughs> curl. All of a sudden, he runs a post corner. I'm like, what? Like this offense makes no sense to me. Like, I, it just everything about their usage of him was really bizarre. But I need to know that his traits are good. Yeah, I think for sure. I know he can catch the ball outside his frame. Um, I know he's got good hands, and I know he can run good routes. So uh, I feel very confident that he's a good player that can produce better than what he produced at Georgia, but never had a season even at 600 yards, even you go back to high school. So, uh, mm. yeah, at some point I think it's it's uh, it's a big question with him that you, you've got to get a guy that can have a little bit of like a what's his proven trump card type of thing. And uh, I think that that's a little bit of the question mark with Ridley. But – if he runs well, you know, I think, and also what he weighs in at, you know, if he weighs in 205, 208, 210, something like that, and he runs in the four fives, that's fine. If he weigh, if he, he's, he's a pretty lean body, so it's a little bit hard to tell 
how much mass he has. And also the weird thing, but the Georgia guys all wear like big shoulder pads. Like Yonder Baker wore like huge shoulder pads. So people think he's big. He's listed like 180. So we'll see. But, um, I, I think that, uh, he has to weigh in. You can't be like 190 and running four or five, you know, cause weight adjusted is really important. I don't think he's 190, but I think him being a little bit bigger when he runs would be maybe a good thing for him if he's not going to be that fast. So, that's kind of what I'm looking for with him, but I'm with you. He's probably an early second round guy, I think. So that's a guy too that could help himself a lot at the combine. People, again, people don't know these names. The names people don't know are the guys in the trenches, the offensive linemen doing the dirty work for all these skill position guys. No fantasy stats there. Uh, Jonah Williams, fair to say that he's our, everybody's consensus top, uh, offensive lineman. Is that no? Hey, John, I have a word with you. Jawan Taylor's my guy, man. He's okay. my top, uh, he's my top tackle and Jawan actually Taylor Garrett Bradbury's uh, my second. Yeah! Uh, second offensive Bradbury. line. This, yeah, so. This is not why I invited John on, by the way. Not, uh, this is true, right? I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Lucky, your lucky day. Uh, no, but look, I think, okay, so Jawan Taylor, the tackle out of Florida, you have him over Jonah Williams, and is that because he's just better? You think Jonah Williams should kick inside and play guard? What's, what's the logic there? My issue with Jonah Williams is really that not that he should be a guard. Uh, I think technically he's really, really sound for tackle. Um, I just don't know that his traits are, are great in terms of size and strength, which I think is, is somewhat of a concern. I don't think that really gets helped by moving inside, though. Um, I just think that a lot of time guys got into his frame and pushed him around and he lost reps a little bit. You know, Initially, he looks great. I, I wrote in my report on him, everything looks awesome with Jonah Williams until the point of engagement. And then he doesn't really control people as well as he should, as consistently as he should. So he'll give up inside moves. And when he loses, he loses decisively. Like, And so I'm a little bit concerned about that with him because he will get knocked off balance and things like that. I think Cleveland Farrell at the end of the year showed everybody that in the national championship. But there are flashes of that in kind of like every game a little bit. So that's a little bit of a concern with me. Some of it is the length. Some of it is that he isn't very strong um, uh, compared to some of the other guys. He is a good player that can help your team and be a good solid tackle, but some of the Joe Thomas praise is a little bit much for me. Uh, I think he's a really good player. Whereas Jawan Taylor, unbelievable physical traits. I think he's extremely explosive out of his stance, reaches set points really well. Occasionally he'll overset, but he can get back down on a guy really quickly uh, and kind of ward them off on the inside. So, I love his traits. I love his play demeanor. I think he's a very physical run blocker. Um, yes, you could argue Williams is a little more technical, but you know Taylor's a guy I think the arrow is pointing up for him, um, and I think he's going to be a really dominant. And I don't really care about the left tackle, right tackle thing. Like To me, like they're both equally valuable. I think he's going to be a really dominant starting right tackle in the NFL. Well, what do you do with the notion that it's hard to plug and play offensive linemen in 2019? Because you know when you're doing your evaluations, because I think that you – like, are you more worried about somebody with, uh, like, are you, what's more, what's more exciting at the offensive line position to tackle? Like somebody with a high floor, somebody with a high ceiling. What sort of traits are you looking for at the combine? You know, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. it, it's hard enough to evaluate offensive linemen in a vacuum, but it, given it, the way that we operate in 2019 and the, the dearth of quality offensive linemen, it makes it extremely difficult. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and for the combine, some people think the 40 really matters for offensive linemen. Some people have done studies that three cone really matters. Um, I think that you can f- probably find a set of data to back up both of those arguments. At the end of the day, though, there's also a lot of bad players that do those things well. So that's where the – I think if you like a guy a lot on tape but you need to know if his traits are elite, those things help a little bit. But offensive line probably more than any other. I'll, I, I value the combine a lot. But for offensive line, I really need to know that you can play on tape. And then if your traits are good on top of it, that's really exciting to me. 
but I, I on tape is where I kind of come back to all the time with those guys. So um, the functional movement skills, you know, I don't think Jonah Williams is this unbelievable athlete, but functional movement skill, like his ability to get out of his stance with perfect timing and reach set points is really, really impressive about him. So I think there are different things to look for in terms of fit for the NFL. I think it's so important to know what kind of offensive line coach you have because mm. there are so many teams that do not develop offensive line talent well, and it's kind of hurt them for years and years and years. Seattle would draft really raw guys and not care, but Tom Cable could not develop the talent. So they kept being bad every single year, and they kept wasting picks every single year. Oakland took two really raw offensive tackles mm-hmm. last year. Tom Cable can't develop them, and both really struggled, especially down the stretch of the season. So Again, those kind of, he's not the only one. I, you know, we, everybody Mean, meanwhile, Seattle's great the second he leaves. Like, they're exactly. Like, yeah, Seattle's yeah. offensive line improves by leaps and bounds. So I think that's, and he's, like I said, he's not the only one. He's just the clearest example because Seattle so dominantly trusted him to do that and he couldn't do it. So it's a clear example of it. But that is so important to, to know what your offensive line, and at the same time, Pittsburgh has had guys like Marcus Gilbert that they gave big contract to. Because he got better and better. I know he's been banged up lately. He got better and better and better under Mike Munchak. Alejandro Villanueva was hard to trust when it was time to pay him, but they paid him because they trusted his work ethic and they trusted Mike Munchak to Mm, keep getting him where where he was going. And he continued to get better and better and better. So that's what's important. I think there are some offensive lines around the league, Philly, Pittsburgh, when Munchak was there, probably now Denver, I guess. Um, I still think... Uh, Pittsburgh's often new offensive line coaches do really well. He was much ex-assistant. There's some spots like that around the league that, like, I feel good about offensive linemen going to no matter, almost no matter what their tape is. Not totally no matter, but within reason, no matter what their tape is, you know, I feel good about them ending up there. And then there are some guys I'm like, yeah, he's never going to reach a ceiling. As soon as, as soon as Colin Miller got drafted, I was like, that's it. Like, yeah, yeah. I never set the doors on a pick so fast. You're screwed, Colton Miller. <laughs> At least you didn't pass up a quarterback for that, John, uh, John Green. Right. Ryan, what do you, what do you think about this class as a whole? You got Jonah Williams one. Is, is Jawan Taylor two for you? And, yeah, and, I like Jawan Taylor. He's right tackle. I know, uh, John's, he's not care. He doesn't care about the left tackle, right tackle thing, but I know that some teams, that's, you know, not high on their list, but something they look out for. I'm stubbornly going to support Jonah Williams to the very end. This whole, I hope God, I hope his arms are 34, uh, 33 and like, uh, nine tenths of an inch just so people can winch about them not being 34 inches. Um, <laughs> I like him. I, I think he's a really good player. He's not super athletic. John's right about that. And I, I've talked to scouts that say, well, is he a right tackle? Is he a left tackle? He wasn't a blindside protector for Tua, so that's a concern because Tua's left handed. Oh, yeah. And those things are all fine. But he, uh, the scout also said, listen, can you just magically move some guy inside because he has short arms? It doesn't work that way. I mean, you have to be able to play guard if you're able to play center. And I think he'll, he'll think he'll be fine. I'm not worried about him. But, uh, Jawan Taylor's a guy when you watch him play, you're like, oh my God, he is destroying people's lives by the way he's playing <laughs> and blocking guys. There's actually, I don't remember what, what, uh, game it was, but he was running down the field talking smack to someone he blew up. I don't remember which game that was, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, remember thoroughly, that. I can't remember the game either. I maybe. thoroughly enjoyed that because. Like you said, well, these guys don't get fantasy points. They're getting a lot of a lot of credit except for like diehard fans. So he he earned that. After that, I like Cody Ford a lot. So he can play played inside, moved outside. So if you need versatility there, I think there's some questions about him being so big at three forty five or whatever he is. Can that can that can that um be something that you can you can do over the course of a career? And the guy I have a question about, and I want to ask John about this guy, is Washington State's Andre Dillard. Yeah, who's probably one of the best athletes that's going to be at the combine in, in terms of the offensive lineman. <laughs> But I don't know if that's going to translate. You watch him play, you're like, oh, my God, this guy's so smooth. He does everything really well. He looks like nothing. There's no effort in terms of what he's doing. But is that going to translate when you're going up against Devon Millers every week and, and guys that are going to get after it? And you have to be strong at the point of attack to sort of, uh, you know, butt heads with these guys and not get pushed right. into the backfield. 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think that's the big thing with Dillard, man. I, I actually kind of liked his tape for what he is. He, I don't, you know, I've, I've seen some people put him in like the top 10, top 15, say he's going to be the first tackle off the board. That would be a mistake in my opinion. There are guys with really high upside that are better players. You mentioned Cody Ford, Juwan Taylor, and then Jonah Williams just as a better player right now. Um, you know, you can argue about Dillard's upside, but I would say Taylor and Ford have really good upside too. And Williams is a good player right now. And I don't think his upside is like bad by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, to me, Dillard is a more, I would rather have Dillard than a Greg Little because Dillard has less bad traits. And I think that's one of the hardest things to unteach at the position. Those guys, they, you know, we think about some of the other position groups that we watch guys are rotating off the field. These guys are on the field every single play. They do the same stuff or they do, don't do the same stuff. And that's an issue every single play. And I think because of that, there's a lot of muscle memory stuff to playing offensive line that you have to unlearn. Uh, because really, you know, you're calling up, you're setting, you know, there's a couple different pass sets, but most of the, for the most part, like you're doing the same thing every single snap as you're throwing the ball, you know, and so I think that that is to be unlearned for a lot of those guys. Um, and I think because of that, Dillard has some things he needs to improve in terms of reaching set points, but he doesn't have bad habits like Greg Little, like, fall stepping out of his stance or like Greg middle moves his inside foot before his outside foot. Like uh, that, that, uh, that post foot on the inside, he'll move it and he'll like almost click his heels together and then move his outside foot. So it's puts him a beat behind against speed rushers. So there's issues like that with him that have to be unlearned. Now, um, you know, he'll, he'll shuffle his feet before he comes off the ball as a run blocker where Dillard is just kind of this raw, like, you know, like, I, I don't know what I'm doing as a run blocker at all. Like I'm just, you know, <laughs> running down the field and blocking guys, but like shoving so guy, I, hitting guys left and right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they hardly ever run the ball, so they, right. they ran the ball there. So yeah, that's a concern, really is, right? I mean, like you, you have to be able to run block in the NFL. Yeah. I know it's a passing league, but like Mike Leach doesn't run the ball, and so that you have to question that, right? Right, it's a little bit of a concern for sure. I mean, you've got to be able to build it, but again, like I like that there's not a lot of bad habits in terms of what to do for Dillard, and so and they do run a little bit of zone and a little bit of power, so he does have a little bit of experience with both and the footwork and. They probably practice it some, but you're right. It's not going to be, it's going to be something. Neither of these, those guys, Little or Dillard, should start right away. But depending on the situation, Dillard could be a really good player. I have him in the late second round a lot higher than I had, uh, than I had Colton Miller, uh, a year ago and even Brian O'Neill higher than I had him, although I kind of liked O'Neill. But I, I think that he really is a little bit closer as a pass protector to the, than those guys are. As a run blocker, yeah, just kind of an unknown. They don't run it enough for me to get a great feel for him on tape. Uh, Ryan, who is an offensive lineman, an offensive tackle, actually, because I'm going to ask John about interior guys as soon as you answer this. Who's an offensive tackle who could help himself at the combine? If you, if you could see somebody, and it could, I mean, it could be, I mean, it doesn't have to be some deep sleeper in the, if you want it to be. I mean, yeah, no, here's the guy that I like a lot, and there'll, there'll be some conversation about moving inside, I'm sure, is, uh, Yadnik Just. Who uh, blocked for Will Greer, West Virginia. And when I watched him play three or four times, I was like, okay, this guy seems to be doing a pretty good job. He's keeping his man in front of him. He's not making a lot of mistakes. He's solid. Your, your pronunciation of that, by the way, made, it makes it impossible to tell if, like, to, to call you out for being wrong. That's very, very nice by <laughs> you. It's like sort of smear, like blend it all together. Yeah, like, like, I mean, like, I'm gonna, I, that's a nightmare. I think it's Kajust. I don't think it's Kajust, even though there's an E at the end. Is it wrong? Uh, I right. Is it wrong that I, I, I'm, I'm actively rooting, rooting for him not to make the NFL? Yeah, this, so well, like I said, ten, ten years of marriage, this is where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's an athletic guy. He, 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 um, they would pull him occasionally and he, good footwork at the second level and all those stuff. You check the boxes on when you're looking for, for an offensive tackle. I don't know if he's going to have to kick inside. He seemed like he was okay. He played left tackle. I'm sure he could play right tackle, but he's a guy that could go there and they'll, people will be talking about him. If he tests well, they'll continue to talk about him. I like, I'll put it this way. I like him a million times more than I like Will Greer as an NFL player. So uh, I'll start with that. 
Uh, all right, John, we'll wrap up this offensive line discussion. Give me your take on my man Garrett Bradbury, a former three-star tight end prospect uh, who who was uh, signed by the by NC State and did Dave Dorn in his class and developed as another one of these. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a stud. He's a, like how high he could go. He could end up going top fifteen. Like that wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, no, I completely agree. I think teams are going to love him. You know, the the buzz on Frank Ragno didn't pick up until like the week before the draft, and like. It was suddenly like, man, this guy's like good. Like he was one of the last players I watched for some reason. I just didn't get to him until late. You know, like I said, uh, doing a lot of other, other jobs at the time, but I was, I'm watching him and I'm like, this guy's like really good. Like, why aren't we talking about him? Like, I feel like everybody had him in like the third round. I was like, this guy's awesome. So like then sure enough, the NFL, it was like right after that was like, everybody's like, yeah, the NFL loves him. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. This is, this is good. This bodes well for the first round. So uh, Bradbury is a higher ceiling. I mean, Bradbury's an unbelievable athlete. He's also not small. The uh, the senior bowl weigh-in uh, confirmed that. He's got great size. He's got great length. He plays nasty. He puts guys on the ground. Um, it's a zone-blocking scheme, so you are not firing off the ball, moving people as often as you are in other schemes. But he still does that. He stays latched. He stays attached. He gets to the second level. He drives guys out of gaps. He seals with his hips. His hand placement is good. In pass protection, people say he gets knocked back a little bit. I think he gets knocked back a tiny bit, but he resets really, really well. He extends and kind of pulls guys down a little bit, um, which is he's very savvy with how he protects. Um, sure, there are times and there are glimpses where, like, you're going to see him struggle with power a little bit. You know, head-up noses that are exploding off the snap into him. You have to kind of be savvy with how you're how you're blocking those guys. So, you know, but we all – Jason Kelsey, Alex Mack, those are his two closest comps, in my opinion, in the wow. NFL. You know, if you're talking about a ceiling to get to. I mean, those guys also, same thing. Cam Hayward, I remember he pancaked Alex Mack when they played this year, you know, like reverse pancaked him. So those guys also get knocked back occasionally, but they're also elite 95% of the snaps. That's what I see with Bradbury. Um, I think he's a top 10 player in this class. He should come off the board early. He's easily the best interior offensive lineman in the class, in my opinion. The easy fit. I keep mocking him to the Carolina Panthers with Ryan Khalil mm-hmm. leaving in retirement. Bradbury told people, too, he doesn't want to move around. He doesn't want to play. He's not, he didn't want to play guard. He didn't want to play anything else. He just wants to be a center. That's where he wants to play. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as such, people are going to have to, you know, you've got to have a needed center. Like if you just drafted Billy Price or Frank Ragnow, you're not drafting, uh, Garrett Bradbury unless you want to really tick off your first round pick by trying to play him somewhere else. All right. <laughs> that's, uh, any, anybody, anything else to add to the offensive lineman? Or we can go to, uh, wrap it up. All right. Cool. We'll, uh, we'll be back tomorrow to break down the defensive side of the ball. Thanks for listening.